0: This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Starting my my, uh, timer. Um, That long introduction does not cut into my time. (laughs) Um, I want to start us off actually with... um, something and i'm hearing some feedback already and i'm going to pace around a little bit because this is going to be my range so i think we'll be okay um i want to start with something from my book creating a world that works for all and i want to read from the introduction that was supplied by uh president Havel um at the time i wrote it (coughs) um So Havel said, humankind today is well aware of the spectrum of threats looming over its head. We know that the number of people living on our planet is growing at a soaring rate. We know that the already deep abyss separating the planet's poor and rich could deepen further. We also know that we've been destroying the environment on which our existence depends and that we're headed for disaster by producing weapons of mass destruction and allowing them to proliferate. And yet, even though we're aware of these dangers, we do almost nothing to avert them, which is a very flowery and literate way of saying that we're all stuck on stupid. (laughs) We know the problem, we keep compounding the problem. We know how to solve our problems. We just choose not to do so. And at some point in time, you'd expect that to change. But it cannot change as long as we're walking around with the same consciousness that created the problem in the first place. I want to talk about that because when you walk out of here, you're going to, you go back to this thing called living your life, and that life is part of the problem. There was the, um, the recent climate change summit um, uh, last year and you know, all the people were speaking at it and they were saying, you know, we've got to change, we've got to change, and nothing changes. And the reason nothing changes is that all the people who created the problem in the first place, you get them in a room and say, change that problem. And they're all like, what, huh, change it? Um, Aren't I making money with this? Oh, well, well, how about if we get together next year and next year we're gonna change it? So our challenge is how, do we begin the process of changing from this mindset to this mindset? Now, we know how we we prefer doing that. We know how to do that. And the way that we want to do that is to get that guy over there to change. Because once we get him to change, everything's gonna be fine. So we want, donald trump to change his his consciousness and we're going to put all of our time and our effort into getting donald trump to change his consciousness and guess what Uh, it doesn't work it can never work it works exactly the opposite now i know a couple of you in the room have heard this thing about um, called The Secret, and, you know, um, Manifestation, and you know, maybe one or two. I see a couple of heads nodding here. And what happens when you put your attention onto something? They get, you get more of it. So you put your attention on, excuse me, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald What do you get? You... <laughs> Why are we surprised at what happens? Why are we surprised when we lack the, the focus? No, I'm sorry. That's not true. It's not that we lack the focus. We choose to lack the focus. We choose not to focus on these things. We choose to follow the line that everybody else is following, all your friends doing the kind of the, the random Trump bashing and not applying any time whatsoever to actually solving your problems, to actually asking the question, of what is it going to take for us to change? So I'll tell you a a Václav Havel story. Um, He was imprisoned, uh, he was a playwright, and he was imprisoned in a Soviet prison, and he was imprisoned because he had the audacity to say that we can run our country better than the Soviets can. How dare he lock him up? So he's walking around, Uh, his job um, is in the prison laundry and he's going from cell to cell collecting the sheets and towels and all the stuff that needs to get um, cleaned. And he sees another person that he didn't know was in the prison and he's pushing a laundry cart too. So these two guys have five minutes to talk to each other before the guards will break them up. So what do you talk about when you've got five minutes to talk to someone? We know what we would talk about. We talk about how unfair it is to be in the prison. We talk about how the food is so bad, how much you miss your wife or your your husband. You you talk about... um, Uh, how brutal the guards are. What this guy, what, what, what Havel and this other guy talked about for five minutes was the nature of the society they would create when they got out. Havel was taken out of the prison, dusted off, they put a suit on him and made him the president. The other guy, they dusted him off, put a suit on him, and made him the foreign secretary with absolutely completely no training, but with a vision, holding a vision in the bowels of the prison. Guess what? You're not in that prison. At any point in time, you could have another conversation. You can sit down with someone and say, let's talk about the nature of the society we need to create right now. And guess what? Nobody's stopping you from doing that. But it's a whole lot more fun to say, guess what Trump said yesterday? You know, oh, they're trying to take away our... They're trying to give us the... I was um, talking with a friend who was um, following the the, uh, hearings for the latest Supreme Court nominee, and she was talking about how upset and how traumatized she was by the kinds of questions that she was being asked and the kinds of of, uh, remarks that were being made. And I asked her a question. Why'd you watch it? (laughs) Okay, Why'd you put yourself in the line of fire to be traumatized I knew what they were going to do. I knew what they were going to say. In fact, this is all kabuki theater. You know, they knew when, when when she was going like like from from congressman to congressman. In the back room, they're like, "Oh, I'm going to have to ask you some really hard questions and all like that." But you know, I, I I'm really supporting you. But but you know, I, I have to act this way with those folks there. Um, one of the things that um, is true is that. When you have a, a bar card, when, you have, when you're a lawyer, it kind of lets, lets you in on how the game is played. And when you see it, when you see the mechanizations going on behind the scenes, um, it makes you ill for both sides. And it's at that point, you get, you get to understand the nature of the problem. And you get to understand that all of the things that are happening out in the world, all those hot-button issues that get people so incensed, and your hand-painted sign, and you're going to walk down the city hall, and you're going to—that's not the game. And the real game, once we understand it. would involve a coming together of the people who believe that there's such a thing called a left and such a thing called a right, and understanding that we have more in common than we have separating us. Not allowing ourselves to be separated. Recognizing that when somebody is feeding me, you know, um, the red meat, or the red tofu, if that's your preference, <laughs> that you have an option. And your option is, I don't have to do this. I'm not going to um, subject my consciousness to that. I'm not going to subject your consciousness to that. I constantly am asking people the question, How do you solve this problem? Okay, you can tell me what the problem is. You know, that should take you about mm, 30 seconds to a minute. Now tell me the solution. Tell me the elegant solution. Tell me this beautiful solution that you've come up with. Came across a quote um, very recently. and I have to tell you who did, who said the quote, and then I'll tell you what the quote is, and then I'll tell you why I I tell you who said it. It It's said by a guy named Edwin, Edwin Land, and that name should be ringing a very dim bell in the back of your head. And the quote is, you can solve any problem as long as you ask the right question. We're not asking the right questions. We don't even know what the right questions are. We don't even pretend to want to know what the right questions are. I just want to be perceived as being on th- on this side of the issue because I don't want to be with those folks over there. Um, <clears throat> so Edwin Land, anybody guess who that is? He invented a process. Uh, you know, yes. <laughs> Um, He invented a process um, to develop instant pictures, the the Polaroid. And the reason I'm telling you that is this. He said, in order to develop the Polaroid process, you have to, he had to, start from scratch and invent the entire thing from the lens here to the picture there. Nothing was like anything that preceded it. That is what the society that we are are creating will look like. It's not gonna look like capitalism with some of the edges cut off. It's not gonna look like a representative democracy, but with some safeguards in it. It's gonna be brand new. And we, All human beings and all living beings are waiting for you to get off your butt and start creating it. I'll help, okay? But I can't do it. I can't do it alone. I don't know how many times people come up to me after a talk and will say, thank you so much for your work. And I say, why do you think it's my work? (laughs) What planet do you live on? We've heard of this thing called homelessness. Uh, Have we heard? Uh, And if you haven't, try looking outside your car as you're driving up and down the streets here. And we're going to solve the issue of homelessness. That ain't the problem. And if if you don't characterize the problem correctly, you don't ever, ever solve it. So we have got to be brave enough to start solving our issues, not just with our head and our statistics and our spreadsheets, but also solving it down here in our hearts. And I'm doing fine with time, just to let you know. I wanna read a couple of things to you from my uh, relatively new workbook, uh, Practicing the 12 Steps of Inclusivity. First of all, let me tell you what the 12 steps are. Um, when I wrote this one 20 some odd years ago, um, I put in there some, a, a section by, from the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying by uh, Sogyal Rinpoche. Uh, Rinpoche was talking about um, how uh, uncomfortable people get around people who are dying. We live in a death phobic society. We don't. We act. We act like we are not going to die. Anybody who's pulled that off, let me know. I'll see you, at, I'll see you in after church here and we'll talk about it. In healthy civilizations, of which this is not one, um, people have, there's an integral part of living, dying, maturing, receiving, giving, and you you see how you are in that flow, in an unhealthy society, what we do is constantly try to get, 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 because we're trying to fill this empty void inside of ourselves. And you can't do it. You can't fill it by you trying to fill yourself. It doesn't work like that. Now, you'll remember I said that, and maybe five years from now, or 10 years from now, or 20 years from now, or 40 years from now, maybe on your deathbed, you'll say, oh yeah, that black guy came and he said something about, um, it doesn't work that way. The way that it works is that your heart gets filled the more that you give. Your heart fills up in some amazingly weird way. The more that you give. Um, how many of you have um, uh, pumped water with a hand pump? Uh, Central Oregon, everybody. You know. <laughs> so, um, how many of you have not done that? <laughs> um, you know that with a dry pump, you gotta take that initial bottle of water and you, gotta pu- you, you have to do the exact opposite of what you want. I want water, so I have to give the water away. Gotta prime the pump. Our hearts work the same way. We have to start thinking about and focusing on how we interact with our other. Now, we've got two different kinds of others that we're, that we're interacting with. <laughs> the easy others and then there are the other others. <laughs> the easy others are the ones that you've already pledged to um, be in relationship with. Um, could be family members, some of them are not particularly easy. Um, could be uh, people on your job if you actually like your job. Um, so yeah, so you've you've got uh, the got the easy others, and the harder others are um, the Donald Trumps of the world. And I guess I, I should I should be quick to add, you know, if 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 you're a Trump person, then the Hillary Clintons of the world. Um, you know, choose your medicine here. Uh, and having A a visceral relationship so that uh, there are people who tell me, like, I can't stand the way he looks. I can't stand the sound of his voice. And it's like, why are you listening to him? You know, Uh, is he he, like in your living room or something? So, uh, so, so. 23 years ago, when I did Creating a World That Works for All, I looked at these 12 Steps of Inclusivity by Sao Gyel Rinpoche and said, that would be a really nice workbook. So 23 years later, I wrote a really nice workbook. <laughs> um, and I want to go through just one of the steps and one of the questions. So step number one, Oh, so the change I made from what Sagyal Rinpoche did, he was talking about dying people. I just took the word dying out, because it applies to everybody. So Saugel Rinpoche said, the most essential thing in life is to establish an unafraid, heartfelt communication with others. Say that again. The most essential thing in life is to establish an unafraid, Heartfelt communication with others. Now, how many of us do that? How many of us don't even know how to do that? Where all of our relationships, family, friends, etc., are colored by this um, filter of what I think I should be doing right now, what I think I should be saying right now, how we think that we should be um, uh, addressing each other right now. How many of us are really willing to be unafraid? How many of us are really willing to be heartfelt? How many of us are really willing to actually establish real communication and not beat air at each other? not say the things that I think that the person wants to hear, or in a case of confronting your other other, say the things that's gonna infuriate them. I was, uh, I saw someone with a, with a bumper sticker, and I bet I could go out in the parking lot here and find it, um, where the bumper sticker was, uh, I'm doing everything I can to piss off the right. Why? Why do you want to live in a pissed-off world? Is that what God put you on earth to do? If you think the answer is yes, I am, I, I feel for you. So uh, so the way that the book is organized, you have the step, and then I say a little bit about the step, and then I ask you, some questions about the step and then i i have some things that i suggest that you do in terms of practicing that step the first question on that first step is who is your other now when i do this in a workshop format you can stay on that question for about mm, two or three years because once you start seeing how you are interacting with others, once you start getting the the, the feel for it, the gist of it, you start seeing that um, the other is more complex and more complicated than um, just saying, you, you, because they are such and such, I'm against them. Or because they are such and such, I'm for them. And that gets us to, and I gotta hurry up now, um, our step nine, I just skipped a whole bunch of them. <clears throat> and this is, this is um, to me, the centerpiece of inclusivity. This is the, this is the, the, the hard part of inclusivity. In step nine, look at the person in front of you and think of that person as just like you, okay? So, so some of your stomach should be fluttering already, okay? So look at, the, look at the person in front of you and think of that person as just like you with, the same needs, the same fundamental desire to be happy and avoid suffering, the same loneliness, the same fear of the unknown, the same secret areas of sadness, the same half-acknowledged feelings of helplessness, you'll find that if you really do this, your heart will open toward that person and love will be present between you. I don't think this is overselling. I think if you do that, if you have this open and heart-opened relationship to the other, you're going to find that first of all, all these things that I just said apply to you. When I, when I read the first time, the same loneliness, like, oh no, my loneliness is much deeper than that person that's smiling and glad-handing and got lots of friends, got, got lots of friends on Facebook, and um, um, <clears throat> the same secret areas of sadness. How many of us have never revealed the places where we are sad? How many of us have never revealed the places we are sad to ourselves? Where we are not even aware of where that sadness is. And if we can open ourselves, we can experience love If we open ourselves, we can experience the joy of connecting and connecting past all the ways our society wants us to separate from from each other. All the ways our society wants us to separate from ourselves. You listen to how people talk about themselves. They talk about themselves as a foreign object. You know, and it's time for us to practice loving ourselves by practicing loving others. So, since I've got another two or three hours here, um, uh, I'll 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 continue on. Yeah, you know. um, now I'm going to wrap up with us doing um, what I call the inclusivity prayer. This is a prayer that um, anyone can do. You don't have to be believing in anything in particular. Um, and it's a prayer that's based on an old, uh, a very old Buddhist prayer. And you've heard the B- Buddhist prayer before, may all beings be well, may all beings be secure, may all beings be happy. The change that we've made on that prayer is the first part of it is, may I be well, may I be secure, may I be happy. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you go out trying to help somebody else. Get yourself grounded first and then you can be in a position to help others. Make sure your mechanisms are clean and clear first, and then you can help clean and clear others. The second part of the, um, uh, of the prayer is may you be well, may you be secure, May you be happy. And we're going to say that part twice. The first time, I want you to think about someone who is very, very easy for you to love. You may be thinking about a spouse. You may be thinking about uh, a child. You may be thinking about a parent. Um, Then the third part, Okay, I'm sorry, that's the, the first you. Then we're going to say that again. May you be well. May you be secure. May you be happy. And this time, I want you to find that person who raises the hair on the back of your neck, okay? The idea of you being in um, even the same room with them would be a stretch. Um, Reverend Jane was saying that, that when I was... Um, invited to be one of the delegates to Forum 2000, I had to work through the idea that I'm gonna be sitting at the same table with Henry Kissinger, someone I believe that should have been convicted of war crimes, okay? Now, uh, just in case you hadn't noticed, victors are never charged with war crimes, okay? So uh, only, only the ones that are losing and you can find them. They don't get out of town too quickly. Then the third aspect is, may all beings be well, may all beings be secure, may all beings be happy. So shall we do that together? Okay, first yourself, may I be well, may I be secure, may I be happy. And the first you, as somebody that you, that you, that, that's easy for you to love, may you be well may you be secure may you be happy the second you is the one that's uh, got the hair in the back of your neck going up may you be well may you be secure may you be happy and then finally for all beings on our planet may all beings be well may all beings be secure May all beings be happy. So thank you.